San Francisco Department of Disability and Aging Services Commission meeting of Wednesday, January 5th, 2022 to order. I am the DOS Commission President, Martha Knudsen. This commission meeting is being conducted pursuant to provisions of the Brown Act and recent executive orders issued by the governor to facilitate teleconferencing to reduce the risk of COVID-19 transmission at public meetings. Ordinarily, the Brown Act sets strict rules for teleconferencing. The governor recently signed a new amendment to the Brown Act to allow continued use of teleconferencing for public meetings during a state of emergency, provided that commissions such as ours make certain findings. To comply with this legal requirement, item 4A on this morning's agenda is the request to consider whether continued use of teleconferencing will minimize health risks and whether our commission is able to use teleconferencing in a matter that allows public participation and transparency. As noted on the agenda, members of the public may observe this teleconference meeting via sfgovtv.org and sfgovtv channel 78 and they may offer public comment by calling the published public comment phone number. I'd like to welcome the members of the public and staff who are watching, watching us live on SFGovTV. The commission asks and thanks you for your patience during these unprecedented times. We respectfully ask the public to have patience and expect delays and gaps during the meeting, particularly during public comment. To eliminate background interference, all panelists and presenters are asked to mute themselves when not speaking or waiting to present. The San Francisco HSA DOS Commission acknowledges that we are on the unceded ancestral homeland of the Ramatush Ohlone, who are the original inhabitants of the San Francisco Peninsula. As the indigenous stewards of this land and in accordance with their traditions, the Ramatush Ohlone have never ceded, lost, nor forgotten their responsibilities as the caretakers of this place, as well as for all peoples who reside in their traditional territory. As guests, we recognize that we benefit from living and working on their traditional homeland. We wish to pay our respects by acknowledging the ancestors, elders, and relatives of the Ramatush Ohlone community and by affirming their sovereign rights as First Peoples. Um, and before we have the secretary take the role, I wanna again thank Elizabeth Labar for uh, doing double duty of uh, one more month. Uh, it is so difficult to get these meetings together in this environment that we're working in. We really appreciate all the efforts that Elizabeth is even currently undergoing to make sure we're all together. And I also want to uh, welcome our new commission secretary, who I think is observing, uh, but has been uh, playing a critical role in getting us prepared for the meeting, Rabe Derbiche. And we appreciate your accepting a position as our new commission secretary. So with that, uh, uh, secretary, can you please take our role? Thank you, President Knudsen. I also just wanted to quickly uh, remind folks to mute yourselves if you're not speaking. I heard a little bit of background noise, so just uh, keep that in mind. Thank you. So um, commissioners, please respond with present when I call your name. President Martha Knudsen. Uh, present. Vice President Spears. Present. Commissioner Bittner. I'm present. Commissioner Jung. Present. Commissioner Carrington. Present, okay. Commissioner Lung. Present. Commissioner Sklar. 
believe she's having uh, phone issues. She sent me, looks like a voicemail I'll need to check. So I will try to get her on as soon as possible. Um, okay. Executive Director Kelly Dearman? Here. Okay. President Knudsen, we have a quorum. Great, thank you. Commissioners, the next item, item three, is communications. We'd like to provide further instruction for the public comment process. Public comment will be available on each item on this agenda and during general public comment. Both Channel 78 and SFGov TV are streaming the number across the, the screen. Each speaker will be allowed three minutes to speak. Comments or opportunities to speak during the public comment period are available via phone call. During each public comment period, viewers and callers will be instructed to call 415-655-0001, then enter access code 146-018-6577-POUND, and then pound again. When connected, you will hear the meeting discussions, but you, but you will be muted and in listening mode only. When your item of interest comes up, dial star three to be added to the speaker line. Best practices are to call from a quiet location, speak clearly and slowly, and turn down your television or radio. You will have three minutes to speak. You'll be informed by the moderator when you have 30 seconds left. After 30 seconds, you will be muted and placed into listening mode. Alternatively, oh, looks like we need to mute somebody. Uh, alternatively, public comment can be submitted by email to me, elizabeth.labar at sfgov.org. If you submit public comment via email, it will be forwarded to the commission and will be included as part of the official docket. Um, are there any other communications from the DOS commissioners at this time? I'm not seeing any hands raised or hearing anybody. So we'll, we'll move along then. I'm, I'm going to, um, our next item, agenda item four, was approving the minutes of Wednesday, December 1st, 2021. We're going to uh, delay approval of those minutes until uh, next our next meeting, and I'll, I'll ask that that be agendized on our next meeting. Um, what we will do as part of uh, 4A, I don't think we need to have any public comment because we're delaying. Um, is move to uh, next item is agenda item 4A, a resolution making findings to allow teleconference meetings of the DOS Commission. Let me read that. On September 16, 2021, the governor signed AB 361, a bill that amends the Brown Act to allow local policy bodies to continue to meet by teleconferencing during the state of emergency, provided that the policy bodies make certain findings that at, at least once every 30 days. San Francisco continues to operate under Mayor Breed's emergency order of July 31st, 2020, which prohibits in-person public meetings other than Board of Supervisor meetings to ensure the safety of policy body members, city staff, and the public. The DOS Commission has met remotely during COVID-19 pandemic in a manner that allows public participation and transparency while minimizing health risks that would be present with in-person meetings. Under the recently signed amendment to the Brown Act, 
if the commission will continue to meet remotely, we must find that there are risks for meeting in person and that the DOS commission resolves to teleconference any manner that protects the participant right, participation rights of the public. Are there any comments or questions from the commission regarding item four that will allow us to proceed? Here, any, um, Madam Secretary, do we have anyone from the public who wishes to comment on this item? Moderator, are there any, is there any public comment in the queue? Madam Secretary, there are no callers in the queue. Thank you. Great. Okay, then hearing no further requests to speak on this item, is there a motion to adopt a resolution finding that city officials continue to recommend social distancing and that the DOS Commission will continue to meet by teleconferencing with opportunities for public participation. I move, I move. Great, uh, a motion by uh, Commissioner Bittner and I believe I saw a second from Commissioner Jung. Um, Madam Secretary, can you please take a roll call vote to approve the proposed resolution making findings to allow teleconference meetings? President Knudsen, how do you vote? Yes. Vice President Spears, how do you vote? Yes. Commissioner Bittner, how do you vote? Yes. Commissioner Jung, how do you vote? Yes. Commissioner Lum, how do you vote? Yes. And Commissioner Sklar, I don't think she's on yet. Uh, Commissioner Sklar, how do you vote? No. Okay. Um, so the... Uh, Motion has been approved. Okay, great. Thank you so much. Commissioners, item five is the executive uh, director's report and I welcome our executive director, Kelly Dearman. Good morning, everybody. Happy new year. And thank you very much, uh, President Knudsen. So um, as we're all aware, uh, COVID is surging right now. And so to reduce the risk of COVID exposure to city employees and clients, the Department of Human Resources has urged departments to pivot back to maximizing telecommuting to the greatest extent possible. DOS will continue to operate all of our essential services and programs. Adult protective services will continue to see clients in their homes and to operate on a 24-hour basis. Our IHSS Independent Provider Assistance Center will provide services virtually. We are continuing to meet with the individuals who we serve through the public guardian and conservator, either in person or virtually, depending on the rules of the long-term care facility. Uh-oh, oh, sorry, something, everything went off. Depending on the, um, the long-term care facility where the individual resides. And the DOS Benefits and Resource Hub will also provide services virtually. We're also continuing um, to try to get the word out as to the importance of boosters. As we all keep hearing, the Omicron variant is extremely contagious and we have heard of many breakthrough cases. So it's really important for us to spread the word to friends, neighbors, even strangers to get boosted if they are eligible. Toward that effort, I wanted to let you know that Lighthouse provided boosters for the people we serve throughout the month of December and the University of Pacific started clinics in January specifically for um, those with intellectual um, and developmental disabilities. 
uh, let's see, we received a program memo from CDA, California Department of Aging, to start supporting HIV services for older adults, which is a new factor that area agencies on aging must consider when targeting services to, to older adults. HIV status was added to the Welfare and Institutions Code by Senate Bill 258 last year and became effective on January 1st. The new requirement tries to address cultural and social isolation caused by HIV status and ensures that older people with HIV have the resources they need to age in place with dignity. We're still waiting to hear from CDA regarding the details of the ARPA funding um, and we are expecting to get details anytime now, so we will let you know. We are very pleased to announce that our APS program director, Achilles Ceron, was appointed to serve on the California Elder and Disability Justice Coordinating Council. This council has been formed as part of the state's master plan for aging and is modeled after the federal government's Elder Justice Coordinating Council that is overseen by the Administration on Aging. The California Department of Aging is overseeing the Council in partnership with the Department of Justice. The goal of the Council is to increase coordination and to make recommendations that are aimed at preventing and reducing abuse, neglect, exploitation, and fraud that is perpetrated against older people and adults with disabilities. The Council's first meeting will take place at the end of January. Huge congratulations to Achilles. Lastly, I wanted you all to know that I attended the U.S. Aging, formerly N4A, board meeting last month. And the focus areas for 2022 are home community-based funding, which includes caregiving, funding, and building a better infrastructure network, workforce support, expansion and pay equity, the social determinants of health, including transportation and housing, and how we use technology and service delivery social isolation and engagement and hybrid service delivery models, DEI and, combat and combating ageism. So I get that this is a really big list, but we seem to be moving in the right direction. It was really interesting to hear from the Administration for Community Living that they are taking a deep dive into the workforce problem, trying to figure out ways to combat that and what they can do on a federal level. And of course, this includes giving money. A lot of focus has been on the fact that one third of COVID deaths happened in congregate settings while they only represent 5% of the population. Highlights that we have always known about the need for comprehensive, this highlights what we have always known about the need for comprehensive, well-funded wraparound home-based services. Also, we're really glad to hear that while the focus is on older adults, 78% of AAAs also provide service for people with disabilities. We say, of course, to this. And while we don't want to chip away at the Older Americans Act, we need to develop stronger partnerships to work with uh, people with disabilities, recognizing the large overlap. So it's really just recognizing what we have been doing for years and years. I personally sit on the Public Policy and Grassroots Committee, and our 2022 U.S. Aging priorities are as follows. Investing in cost-effective home and community-based services. The focus is on the Older Americans Act, Medicaid, and veteran-directed care programs. Promoting successful, healthy aging and community. The focus here is on caregivers, social isol isolation, 
transportation, evidence-based programs, housing, always housing, and elder justice. Third is connecting the health and aging sectors to improve care and reduce costs. So here we're looking at Medicare, supplemental benefits, preserving and expanding care options. And finally, creating the needed infrastructure for an aging America. Focus on broadband, disaster preparedness and response and the workforce. So it's a really exciting time. A lot of talk about ARPA and how folks are spending the money, uh, DEI and how AAAs are responding and creative responses to the workforce shortage. Finally, globally, this is the decade of aging as there are now more adults than children in the world. So we should keep reminding people of this and remind ourselves of this. So the next meeting will be in March, but um, I'm really glad I was able to go because it gave me a much uh, broader view of everything that we are doing. So that's all I have and I'm happy to answer any questions. Um. This is awesome. First of all, thank you for all your work. I'm particularly interested in the work workforce development part of it. Um because I um I don't know if everyone knows, but my main advocacy has been with home care. Mm, but I do both the consumer side of it, but also the workforce side because people with disabilities mm, and seniors they could have the best, you know, they could have really good people, but if the people aren't paid enough, it's not going to be a, a sustainable job for people. So I hope you will keep us informed. And if there's anything I can do to help, you know, let me know because this is really dear mm -hmm. to my own. Yes. Thank you so much, Commissioner Bittner. I know there is, I mean, the good news is there's a lot of focus on this workforce issue now, but we know it not only affects caregivers, but it seems to be a problem across many sectors um, in the country, but I am keenly focused on caregivers. And um, so I know we are doing some things here, like through our partnership with Homebridge, they're trying to make a um, career track so that um, so that people don't think of caregiving as, oh, like this is where I ended up, but really this is where I want to be. And um, I agree with you that we need to continue doing more, taking all the ideas, looking at, um, colleges and really um, putting caregivers as as the real profession that it is and the recognition that it's all of the caregivers that are keeping so many people out of hospitals. So I will definitely keep you advised when we have new ideas, new thoughts, or some wonderful thing happens that yeah, thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much. Sure. Are there any other uh, comments 
from the commissioners our director's report. And I, I just want to also echo the congratulations to um, Achilles Cerrone for his appointment. That is a very important thing. And we recognize that he'll be assuming yet another duty, adding responsibilities and, and hours to his workday. So we appreciate that very much. Yeah. Um, we, we can move now to the uh, employee recognition, I believe. Commissioners, item number six is the DOS employee recognition as President Knutson just mentioned. Executive Director Dearman, President Knutson and the DOS Commission will honor Jetzel Martinez, in-home supportive services social worker from the IHSS services program. Okay, thank you. So Jetzel Martinez has been a medical social worker with IHSS since 2019. In her role, she has been responsible for carrying a high-risk caseload of IHSS recipients who require more comprehensive support to maintain IHSS benefits. Jetzel has a background in working in a skilled nursing facility and brings a wealth of experience and knowledge regarding the needs of older adults. She was one of the social workers who stepped up during the pandemic and joined the team serving guests in the shelter-in-place hotels. In this role, she thrived working with shelter-in-place staff and making sure vulnerable guests were connected to IHSS and Homebridge services. Her enthusiasm for this rapid, collaborative, and high-touch model made her a great candidate for IHSS's new collaborative caregiver support team pilot in permanent supportive housing. In this model, Jotzel close, works closely with dedicated building staff and a Homebridge care team to ensure residents are connected with IHSS services and maintain their housing. In only a few months, she and the team have engaged residents that were initially hesitant to accept services and in several cases have helped residents stave off eviction. She is incredibly compassionate and has proven to be an excellent team player. She finds true joy in working with her clients. With Jotzel's cheerful demeanor, it is understandable why clients feel at ease working with her. We are thrilled she is on her team and grateful that she has helped make the collaborative caregiver support team pilot an early success. Thank you very much. Thank you. And if I could just Thank also, um, Jotzel, if I could for a moment, on behalf of the commission, we have so much hope for this program that uh, that uh, we hope to helps to keep people, very vulnerable people housed um, as we try to solve these problems with uh, always new models in San Francisco. So it's absolutely a privilege and an honor that you are being honored today. <laughs> so that we get to meet you and that we can put a real face to the, the real heroes that are doing this work. So uh, I think we all have such compassion for everybody that we see that is unhoused and and always hope that there could be programs like this that help help them so i uh, just thank you on behalf of the commission and congratulations today thank you thank you everybody i think we can then move on unless any other commissioners wanted to make a comment Good. Um, then we'll move on to uh, have the secretary call the advisory council report. Yes, commissioners, item seven is the ad, ad, advisory council report presented by the advisory council president, 
Diane Lawrence. Uh, good morning and happy new year, uh, commissioners and um, executive director Dearman. Um, the advisory council met in December. And uh, <clears throat> so I wanted to bring you up to date on what occurred. Um, Dr. Eleanor Lurie announced her retirement from the um, council after over 10 years of service as both a member and an officer. She was recognized by her peer, by her fellow council members as um, innovative, uh, provided leadership and guidance, was an inspiration. There was lucidity in her comments and great wisdom. Um, she notified not only the director um, and myself, but also Supervisor Stefani. Um, she's also served as a member of the Dignity Oversight and Advisory Council since its beginning. And so we will be working um, to fill that seat. We can't really replace Ellie. Um, we have a potential candidate <clears throat> to complete the remainder of her term and then to apply for, for a term themselves. And I'll go into that um, little in a minute. Um, and we're directing the can potential candidate to the supervisor's office uh, to complete the process. Um, our members continue to work, uh, reach out to the supervisors. The chair of the membership committee has some uh, potential candidates. Kay's been doing an excellent job um, in finding uh, candidates amongst uh, people that she's worked with in the um, aging and care uh, realm. Uh, and possibly one for District 1. And again, that calendar, that uh, candidate would be directed. Uh, we still haven't heard direct. We know that Supervisor Melgar has a candidate, but we have not heard. And again, there's no responses from the other candidates. Um, so we'll continue to work. Our goal is to start calling their offices. And once things open up, or when they open up, of possibly going and uh, trying to make appointments and meet with them. And then, as we've noted before, um, Executive Director Dearman has uh, great, generously offered her assistance. Um, and there's an error in my report. I did not proof it as well as I could have. Um, so there was some information left in from last time. Um, we have two openings for the California Senior Legislature, um, and we'll be working to fill those um, this spring, <clears throat> this first quarter. And um, as we've noted in the past, CSL has passed in its 38 years over 200 pieces of legislation. Um, so we'll be developed, we'll be continuing to work on our outreach program and make sure we um, get that up to date. We had um, a quick update on the um, senior ho uh, homelessness and the committee wanted to thank uh, executive directors, Dearman and McSpadden for their detailed and thoughtful response. And they felt that um, there was confidence, um, that their response had inspired confidence on how we would move forward. Uh, they'll continue to work on leftover issues. But we, we plan on that every month for 2022. Um, the uh, Dignity Fund, um, seen there was a, with the digital divide, saw some challenges with participation in the um, outreach groups. And the um, so that's been an issue. Uh, in one district, for example, there had been so many surveys during the course of the year by the supervisor's office that that was hard to engage people in yet another um, survey. Um, we discussed the <clears throat> some of the inputs from the community of, communities of color listening sessions. 
and I've um, identified the key takeaways in my written report. Isolation, need for more services, <clears throat> excuse me, need for robust mental health. Affordable housing, it's always housing and support, um, long-term care. Safety in our communities, uh, both inside the community or neighborhood and outside immigration support and legal services, access to services. And um, Valerie Coleman, who was acting secretary, um, offered to send out the listening sessions to the council members so that we could research a little more detail. I have some good news. We had site visits. We ended the year with finally some site visits. Um, they were virtual. And um, one self-help for the elderly, um, which is the South Sunset Nutrition site, I did, it's still in progress. Um, and um, then one on the Jewish Family and Children's Services, um, which included a director uh, discussion with the director, which is what I still need to do. Um, and what I found, I think what we all found is by going and looking at the website, we found out much more information about what um, the sites and the uh, community-based organizations offer than just going for a meal um, and uncovered some services, both DOS supported and not, that serve both the um, senior and the disability uh, community. In fact, at the Jewish Family and Children's Services, they have a whole program for uh, persons with disabilities. Um, so that was quite um, exciting. So we will be looking at discussing Unlock in January. So from our pilot, we'll be exploring, but I think this, until we can move forward um, and actually see things in person, this is a, a way to get in and find out some additional information. So we'll continue to push forward. And then I've included in my report the uh, 10 issues that the California Senior Legislature will be focusing on. And we'll begin discussing those later this month at our um, Joint Ledge Committee. And one quick thing on the disability community, it's the Shupin, S-H-U-P-I-N community at Jewish Family and Children's Services that works with uh, persons with disabilities. So that is my report. Oh, uh, that's my report for uh, this month. Okay, well, thank you so much, uh, Ms. Lawrence. Um, I also just wanted to make note of Dr. Lurie's uh, tremendous contribution. I know that she also um, presented in front of the commission from time to time, so people, our commissioners knew her, and I had the privilege of working with her um, to try to work on pedestrian safety issues. And uh, she was just a real leader, is a real leader in the community, and uh, cer certainly deserves to, to step back and uh, have some time, other use her time otherwise. Uh, but I just wanted to really uh, no note that uh, and how much we appreciated uh, the contributions she made. Are there any other comments or questions from the commission on all of this work that was done <laughs> over the past month? Okay, well, thank just to thank you, you for the yes. written report. It's it's very comprehensive and really appreciate um, being able to have that in writing and, and review it. So thank you very much. Yeah. You're welcome. My New Year's resolution will be to get it done a little bit ahead of time. <laughs> it's all right. We, we were still able to review it. Um, then do we want to uh, call the joint legislative report? 
Commissioners, can I make this one announcement? I received notification that we're having issues with public comments. So I would like to reiterate the correct call-in number and um, conference ID code, just in case that's helpful. Also on the back end, we're trying to figure out what's going on. Um, but I just wanted to acknowledge this issue and the call-in number should be Give me a second here. Madam President. One four one five six five five zero 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 one. And then the um, event number should be two four eight zero one one four three eight two six and then pound and pound again. So um, like I said, on the back end, we'll figure out if there's anything else going on, but just wanted to make that announcement. And now we can uh, move on to item eight, the joint legislative, joint legislative report, also presented by the advisory council president, Diane Lawrence. And if I could, uh, Commissioner Lum, did you want to say something first before? Yeah, I, I, I would just go to, uh, 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 make a comment that uh, uh, to uh, President uh, Lawrence that uh, in, in the future, if and if and when we can be uh, we start the on-site visits, uh, would it be possible for you to notify us? You know when 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 it's uh, scheduled. Sure. I, I personally would like to go up, go along, if possible, on some of these site visits. Sure, we'll work on that. We'll work with you, Commissioner. That would be wonderful. Thank you. Okay, thank you, Commissioner Lum, and we'll move along with the joint legislative report then. So um, I don't have a joint legislative report because there wasn't much <laughs> um, done, although uh, CSL is working uh, feverishly to get things moving for the 2020 session, but I do have a report of the AAA up TAC. We had a meeting on uh, December 14th, and um, TAC is the AAA Council of California. And again, it's made up of representatives from the 33 planning and service areas or PSAs. And um, within each PSA is an area agency on aging responsible for planning and administering services for seniors. And we meet roughly four times a year and we're working on that. Um, the new um, director of um, California Department of Aging popped in uh, to say hello. And uh, we will, um, she's promised to meet with us later in the, um, the year um, once they've worked through all of their priorities. They, um, and the State Commission on Aging, uh, their executive committee is working on the priorities for the State Commission for 2022. Um, the PSA representatives either file a report uh, which when I file one, I do submit it to um, the office. Excuse me, I have to look, somebody's got a big truck outside my window. Um, but I summarize some of those. Um, isolation, digital divide, nutrition, working with the master plan all seem to be key areas that, um, that stood out. Um, the other thing that I thought is interesting is 
Los Angeles County, given how large it is, has two PSAs, and they will be over the next couple of years working to merge into one. City of Los Angeles had a PSA, as did the um, county. So now there will be one. Um, and then the Modesto uh, County received um, an Elder Justice Award. So that was uh, something to be recognized. The major report was on HomeSafe, which was a pilot uh, as a result of legislation in 2018. San Francisco was one of those pilot districts. Um, and I've detailed in the report, so we had a large county, uh, Los Angeles, and a smaller county, Placer. Um, and I think it, uh, one thing that jumped out at me in their report is that the five point difference between a very large county and a smaller county in the number of seniors um, who live in the um, who live in the community, uh, Los Angeles had 14% over 65, where Placer has close to 20%. Um, and the and again the difference in homelessness, but both programs seem to be working quite well. Um, obviously, uh, difference in challenges, and we um, also held elections. And uh, we will, um, and those, they will be working to put our next meetings together. So I will probably be reporting quarterly again on uh, what we do with TAC. And right now we continue to meet virtually. Okay, uh, thank you so much. Are there any questions about this report from other commissioners' questions or comments? Okay, well, thank you so much for covering that as well. Um, no problem. And uh, do we want to move along then to the case report? Call that agenda item, please. Commissioners, item nine is the case report presented by Daniel Gallagher. Good morning, commissioners and executive director Dearman. Um, I'll be very brief in today's report. Uh, just an update on the case writing project. Uh, we have uh, completed the uh, editing of the eight profiles um, that are now with our design specialist uh, who's finalizing the layouts for both the print copies and the PDF copies. And then later on this week, uh, my, uh, I will be meeting with uh, my co-chair, Fiona Hinze, and also Michael Zog of DOS uh, to complete the planning for distribution. So we're coming to a closure on on that project and, and getting that those uh, copies out to um, government agencies, both locally and statewide and elected officials and foundations. So um, we're, uh, it's been a long process um, and quite a learning process. I, I do wanna say that we, we had a, uh, a state preview of some of the profiles in our last case meeting in December. Uh, so we um, we had a couple of organizations present their, their profiles. Um, and uh, that was exciting for them and, and, and for the, the case membership as well. Um, and then uh, to further along with our case programming in January, we have Dr. Mary Flett. Uh, whose topic is uh, to talk about purpose and meaning over time and offers her unique insights about what it means to create purpose and meaning across one's lifespan. 
we find that to be uh, rather interesting. And then in February, Dr. Schofield um, will be talking about how linear careers and lives really uh, don't exist much any longer, um, that there's a lot of twists and turns as we've experienced over the last two years um, and entering into our third year, obviously, um, of the pandemic. So uh, uh, we're excited to hear Dr. Schofield uh, speak on that as well. And then lastly, the service provider working group, uh, along with CASE and the Dignity Fund Coalition, um, have been working closely with RDA and DOS in um, ensuring that surveys were distributed and uh, completed and submitted to DOS, and, uh, and then just making sure that we're notifying older adults and adults with disabilities of the focus groups and the, and the virtual meetings. So we can get as much participation from our uh, older adult and adults with disabilities pop, uh, population, uh, get their voices heard in the needs assessment process. And that's it for case. Okay, well, thank you very much. Any questions or comments? Uh, yes, uh, Vice President Spears. Yeah, thank you very much. Um, I just have one question regarding the writing project and the broad distribution that's planned. Can you uh, talk to us or share with us what some of the I call it goals of this project are? Because to be honest, I have forgotten. <laughs> Janet, I'm sorry, I didn't hear the last thing you're asking for. Just okay. Can uh, this is regarding the the writing project and the eight stories? Can you hear me now? Right. Um, can you? share with us some of the goals that we have with this broad distribution list for this writing project? Yeah, the, the goal is really to, um, to, to inform uh, the, the audience of the, really the extraordinary pivots that the uh, San Francisco nonprofit in, part, in, in its partnership with the Department of Disability and Aging Services, uh, with their support in, in, in addressing the needs of um, older adults and adults with disabilities population through the pandemic. So it was, it's really to illustrate the, um, the pivots that were made um, and, and how we were able to reach and engage and keep uh, that population connected through the pandemic. And also uh, just um, taking from, from those efforts, lessons learned moving forward. Um, you might, uh, at least my experience, many of the organizations uh, in case right now are working in a hybrid model. Um, and we've been able to reach um, quite a few uh, more uh, really isolated uh, uh, populations through this model. And we think that might be a model moving forward that would be helpful in reaching really marginalized populations um, and, and, and trying to mitigate the isolation that they feel. So it's really, Commissioner Spear, it's really just an effort to illustrate um, what, how, how San Francisco, not only the nonprofits, but also um, the Department of Disability and Aging Services has responded to the pandemic, keeping um, uh, 
um, the population that we serve engaged, connected, and healthy, quite frankly. Okay, I think that definitely answered it and also uh, intrigued us into wanting to know more about it once those reports are finished. So thank you for the uh, more full explanation on that, sure. um, Mr. Gallagher. Um, anything else from other commissioners? Any other questions about all this work? And again, thank you for the uh, outreach you did around getting the surveys out. I think uh, we also, as a commission, made sure that our networks were activated and tried to get those uh, surveys out and answered. So uh, hopefully that, that helped. Um, but thank you for the work that you did regarding that. It's very important this year to make sure we get a lot of input. So thanks a lot for that. Um, any other questions before we move on? Comments? And I think we can call for uh, item 10, public comment. Okay, commissioners, item 10 is public comment. I uh, got additional information on how to access public comment for this particular meeting. And um, I will reread the numbers that you need. It turns out there's an additional password that's required for this meeting that I will make sure it does not happen again in future meetings. And I am going to post this additional password on our website right now, just in case anybody sees it. And also the SFGov TV folks have it posted on uh, channel 78. And um, so the appropriate numbers to use for public comment are Dial. Sorry. All right. Email. Okay. Dial four one five six five five zero 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 one. Then the meeting ID is two four eight zero one one four three eight two six pounds. And then there's a password number 483-732-773-POUND. Uh, again, apologies for not having that information sooner. Um, this is an opportunity for members of the public to address the commission on matters that are not on today's calendar. Moderator, please open the phone line for public comment. We will allow some time for callers to submit their requests. Moderator, do we have any callers in the queue? Madam Secretary, there are no callers in the queue. Um, before we move on, um, President Knutson, I just need to let you know that um, Commissioner Spears can hear, but she's having a reset for her computer. That's why you okay. can't see her. Okay. She's she's hanging on there, and that still qualifies as a, a counting for quorum. So <laughs> we appreciate what everyone's doing today. It's just the the gremlins or whatever is telling us we need to, to go back into public sessions when we can. This is just the technology here is just always challenging. So we appreciate what everyone's doing to make this happen today. So thanks for letting us know that. Um, okay. Commissioners, go ahead with yeah. Sorry. item 11. Yeah. Item 11, old business. 
Commissioners, please indicate by raising your hand if there is any old business that you would like to discuss. seeing any hands raised. So I'll hand it over to President Knutson to call the next item. Okay, thank you. Um, commissioners, the next agenda item is item 12, new business. Items 12A and 12B are informational only. Items 12C and 12D are action items that require a vote by the commission. I think they're Yes, that is correct. I'm sorry. Um, item A is a discussion item led by Deputy City Attorney David Reese regarding the mayor's December 17, 2021 letter to city commissioners addressing vaccination and reporting requirements and resumption of in-person policy body meetings via newly issued amendments to the mayor's emergency order, specifically the 38th and 41st supplements to mayoral proclamation declaring the existence of a local emergency dated February 25th, 2020. Commissioners, you should have received a copy of the mayor's December 17th letter along with copies of two aforementioned supplements in your commission packets. These documents can also be found at our commission websites. Deputy City Attorney David Reese, thank you for taking time out of your busy day to update the DOS Commission with the latest on the status of in-person meetings and answer any relevant commission questions. And here we, I see David, welcome. Yes, Thanks hi, guys. good morning. Morning, commissioners. Um, okay, well, um, as the commission received, there was uh, correspondence from the mayor's office um, before the new year, back uh, mid-December, um, asking commissions, all policy bodies to um, take steps to prepare for uh, a return to in-person meetings. And the um, date of February 28th was, uh, was, was targeted. Um, I do want to note that then just yesterday, obviously things have changed since December 17th. And then yet just yesterday, the mayor's office put out a press release um, discussing that the next several weeks are really critical um, as the city deals with the current called winter surge um, for, for this year um, with COVID and, and, and all the steps that the city's taking. Um, so I acknowledge that they, there hasn't been an actual you know update on that prior communication and, the, and, and you know expectations of returning to in-person, but as we all know, in-person meetings will only resume when it's deemed safe. Um, and uh, so consider that. Uh, the, otherwise, the, um, well, I guess, yeah, let me say Otherwise, the prioritization um, that uh, that the mayor's office was putting out was around the vaccination requirement um, that does apply to all policy bodies, uh, to all commissioners, and really, you know, that being a critical step so that commissions including this one, you know, are prepared to resume uh, in-person meetings um, when it is deemed safe. So, um, so that vaccination requirement, um, uh, you know, will be enforced uh, so that, um, again, so that all commissions and policy bodies are staffed up with, uh, with, uh, with folks who uh, will be able to participate. Um, besides the vaccination requirement, the, there's, is the other thing to note, um, as we did discuss uh, last time, I 
tiered of this commission was you know the the update that had occurred last year to the state brown act um and so as you did previously in the meeting you know today and as remains on your agenda is this what became newly available under state law last year was for um, for public bodies to deem it um you know necessary for safety reasons and health reasons to proceed um via teleconference and so um that you know is now in state law and you know would remain available and as previously discussed as long as the city is under a state of emergency then it's pretty much a given that you know that, that determination has been made basically for you that uh that this is what we're doing right now is the best way to proceed. Um, and then once um, we get to the point where the state of emergency in the city has, um, you know, it, the emergency order has been lifted, then it's basically, you know, it will no longer be a, a given. And then um, it'll be the, you know, individual bodies to, to, to really make that determination, um, you know, as appropriate uh, um, if it exists. So, so that'll remain um under state law you know the, that availability for safety reasons uh and then finally i'll just note you know the, the our local ordinance and this is in our local sunshine ordinance has always um gone beyond the state law and really um you know sets a pretty high bar for uh for um remote attendance by by commissioners it's Again, this is all you know pre-pandemic for you know obviously, but uh, it, it, it was restricted really to like if a commissioner was somehow like bed bound with a medical condition, like you would make allowance for that, but really emphasized um, for the purposes of you know, public access and transparency and all that that uh, that everyone be in person. So um, that's kind of the you know what's called the baseline that we're starting with, and then obviously uh, we're just going to figure out. You know, how to how to accommodate for a safe and healthy reason going forward um uh and so the you know the mayor's office communication um last month did even you know say that they're exploring you know some kind of hybrid model or something for uh to kind of transition back to a um, eventual full resumption of in-person meetings i was like a lot there that's the what i got again you know no updates to what formal updates to what you got, you know, last month, um, other than to say that in order to allow for eventually um, meetings to be in person right now, the emphasis really is on is on the vaccination requirement immediately and then, you know, just getting through the next few weeks and then reassessing um, what the what the situation is. Okay, is that your presentation then, Mr. Reese completes it? Yes. Um, then are there any questions or comments from commissioners on this? I want to make sure everyone is clear about the need to upload your vaccination status and um, uh, just the rest will follow as, as uh, circumstances uh, dictate, I think is the best way of putting it. But for now, we want to make we have made sure. And of course, if there's any, uh, I guess I was going to just make sure so far, we are not being required to upload booster status. Is that still correct? Just to clarify. That's correct. The, yeah, what the, um, the update has really been um, 
through health officer orders has been um, restricted to like healthcare workers and and those mm -hmm. to be working in um, like high risk settings. So for mm -hmm. for those city personnel, the 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 vaccination requirement has been um, updated to include a booster requirement, but the, it hasn't extended beyond that. Okay, great. Um, uh, yeah, please go ahead. I had the glass didn't glued um and um the board of services, do you know? The question is whether or not they're required to get a booster. Mm. Yeah, that's a good question. Do you know, David? Whether the supervisors are? No, whether mm -hmm. caregivers. Oh, um, I'm going to no, say probably not. I'll, I can follow up on that. I mean, I because I, ooh, yeah, I wish I same with that answer. I know, I know it's you know, you know, for certain in healthcare settings. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, but it's very similar for people who are in close proximity. You know, they being a man of them. The other question I had was, um, um, I understand the need for input in meetings, but, um, is there a timeline for, you know, like, um, member acceptance? Like, if a member is immunocompromised, so are they going to like let a member um, to go remotely? Uh, so currently there are not details. That's, that's kind of yeah. what I was thinking of when I was mentioning what the Sunshine Ordinance previously uh, provided um, to to say that, yeah, there, there have not been updates. I know it's, you know, certainly being considered. I know, yeah, I was just curious. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that as we, as we transition, I'm, I would imagine um, you will guide us, uh, Mr. Reese, in how we will conduct a hybrid meeting, if that were the next step here. And, um, just who, who you know where where it's appropriate for a commissioner to not attend due to various reasons you would explain that to us or it would be explained to us is that i'm Certainly, assuming that yeah. we'll all get sort of mapped out for us right so how, how what a how how we will conduct a hybrid meeting <laughs> so right yes no absolutely okay uh commissioner lum uh, I, I understand the uh, situation is very fluid and, uh, you know, we, uh, City Hall doesn't quite know exactly what they are going to do at this particular time, uh, mainly because of the fact that none of us can predict what's going to happen with the, uh, you know, the, the status of uh, uh, COVID. We have already uh, 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 gave documentation to the health officer of the city regarding our vaccination status. If there are additional information that they seek, are they going to notify us direct, or is it going to be? Uh, are we supposed to voluntarily go to them again and say, 
I have received my booster or I didn't receive my booster, whatever the case may have uh, may happen to be. There would certainly be outreach, um, most likely via um, your commission secretary, if it is required of commissioners. Um, but there, there would certainly be outreach um, and plenty of advance notice uh, if they're going to start collecting that. Okay, thank you. Okay, any other questions from commissioners on this very important matter that is certainly fluid at the situation? Yes, Commissioner John. Uh, uh, City Attorney Reese, I just wanted to summarize, make sure I fully understand. So as of December 17th, we have this, um, we received the, the, the letter uh, addressed to us regarding uh, moving forward to in-person meetings as of the end of February. So basically at this point, that's not quite firm because of the recent developments of, uh, of Obacon and, and impact on how, how widely contagious it is. Is that is that correct? Yes, so th that okay. form of that date is, you know, not changed, but, you know, I'd say that date was anticipated based on circumstances, you know, as of December 17th, and circumstances have certainly changed. And of course, there's, you know, no expectation of forcing something until health and safety allows for, for resumption of in-person meetings. Okay, great. Thank you. Okay, I think that ends our questions from commissioners. I'm back. Um, this is Commissioner Spears. I'm back. I had a Good. I don't know total com computer failure. I can hear, but my camera's not working. Okay, but you can hear and speak, which which qualifies you as being part of our quorum. So thank you for letting us know. <laughs> okay, um, then, um, Madam Secretary, we have anyone from the public who wishes to comment on agenda item A. Moderator, please open the phone lane for public comment on agenda item A. We will allow some time for callers to submit their requests. Do we have any callers in the queue? Madam Secretary, there are no callers in the queue. Okay, great. Then hearing no further requests to speak on the item, we'll close public comment. As I mentioned before, no motion is needed on item A as it was for informational purposes only. And thank you so much, uh, City Attorney Reese, for appearing today with us and providing the guidance you could. So <laughs> thank you so much. Yes. Well, thank you. Always glad to see you and always here to support. Great, thank you. Um, commissioners, the next order of business is agenda item B and is also for informational purposes only. No vote is required. Item B is regarding the DOS proposed budget for fiscal year 22-23 and fiscal year 23-24 and will be presented by the DOS budget team. So I'd like to welcome uh, Dan Kaplan, the Deputy Director of Finance Administration, Emily Gibbs, the Budget Director, and Alice Gleason, a DOS budget analyst. We can Great. thank you. Please go ahead. <laughs> yes. Thank you very much. So, and thank you, Alex, for sharing the content. Um, so we're going to bring you a uh, a presentation today, which is really a review of the current year DOS budget 
and is also a discussion of the mayor's instructions around development of next year and the year after's budget. And, uh, and then we're gonna review some of the issues and accomplishments of DAS uh, this year. And then we're gonna talk a little bit about the budget process in general. So I will, I will speak about the current year's budget and uh, about instructions for developing next year's budget. Kelly Dearman's gonna talk about uh, DAS activities, accomplishments and concerns this year. And then I'll pick up again to just talk about the way the budget process will play out over time. Well, we can go to the next slide. What we typically do in describing a budget is describe the budget through three different views. So one is a program budget view. That's what's on the screen in front of us. And we will also talk about a revenue view, and we will talk about what we call a category of expenditure. So if we look at the budget from the point of view of our programs, but what the budget team has done here is they've divided the DAS budget up into a number of program areas. Um, and what you will see is um, the obvious thing, about 60% of the DAS budget is in the area of IHSS um, aid programs. And this uh, comprises three major subparts and, and a few much smaller parts. The three major subparts uh, are what we call the IHSS MOE. That's really the local share of costs of the DAS program. Uh, there is a state and federal share of the program that relates to IHSS independent provider uh, wages, and, that, and that's very substantial, actually far bigger than what's represented here. Um, the second part of what is in here is the health benefits for uh, IHSS workers. And the third major part of what's in here are contract um, currently home bridge expenses. So if we looked within this large 59% um, uh, of the DAS budget, what we see is $154 million of this $271 million is the IHSS MOE, that is the local share of costs. Um, 91 million is around um, the health benefits programs for IHSS workers, and 26 million is around the contract mode budgets. Um, if we uh, look into each of these other areas, we'll see a mix of contract costs and staffing costs primarily, and uh, and then some smaller buckets of costs. I won't review today, um, but if we sort of follow around um, going counterclockwise, uh, the Adult Protective Services Program uh, at $12 million has 64 staff people in it. Um, that, that's the major share of that budget. Um, the Benefits and Resources Hub has 32 staff people within that budget. Um, the COVID food coordination budget is something I'll just mention now. This, this is something that grew out of the initial COVID response. Uh, we put in place a large number of feeding programs, emergency feeding programs, very quickly. 
starting in the spring of uh, 2020 and moving through um, uh, 21-22, 2020-2021, and then and now in 21-22, we've continued those. We've budgeted um, this within DAS. Um, it's a $43 million program. It is primarily CBO contracts, uh, not exclusively. Um, the Office of Community Partnerships uh, at 89 million or 20% uh, is, is, is where we have a lion's share of our uh, CBO contracts. We also have 32 staff people in this area. Uh, when we continue around the circle of veteran services office, seven staff people, um, the legal staff for uh, PAPG has another 16 folks. The PAPC, PG, and representative payee program has another 56 folks. And then um, last and certainly not least, the IHSS city staff, that is the social work staff primarily that works in the IHSS program and and all the staff that supports uh, those those social workers is 161 FTE. So so that's that's sort of the breakout from the program point of view of um, of the DAS budget. Alex, can we go to the next slide? So from the uh, the point of view of revenue, um, we have a lot of a lot of sub buckets here. But I want to start off by saying that we have three major sources of funding: we have federal money, state money, and local money. Um, we have colored the state money in uh, in three different groups. So if we look at what we called state. That's, that's a state share of a number of programs. Um, some of them are in the IHSS program. Some of them are state share of administrative expenses. Um, we also have two um, buckets of money that are, that are actually state money. They come through the state sales tax and they come through the state vehicle licensing fee. Those are the 1991 and the 2011 realignment programs. And they, they support uh, respectively, the IHSS program and the APS program. Those are all state dollars. On the federal side, we get federal monies, there's a share of costs in a number of areas. Um, and then in addition, within this bucket that we call dedicated gifts, grants, and fees, we actually have Older Americans Act dollars, which are also um, which are also federal money, that's about $6 million within that bucket as well. And then for local money, we have a number of different sources within, um, within the, the city budget or, or supported by city dollars. So the Community Living Fund is, is a dedicated fund that is made up of city dollars, uh, but, it, but it supports the Community Living Fund program. The Dignity Fund, is a uh, is a program budget that uh, is a dedicated fund grows by three million dollars a year in unless there is a relatively large shortfall in city funding um, as there was in 2021 but in most years it grows 
by $3 million a year. And the current year, it did grow by $3 million. We anticipate it will grow by $3 million in the upcoming year as well and, and, and afterwards. Um, the general fund budget is, as the name implies, it's city general funds dedicated to the support of DAS programs. And then this other bucket here that we call work order recovery is actually also city funds. These are dollars that are sent to DAS from other city agencies for the purposes of delivering uh, program support. The, the, the vast majority of this money actually comes to DAS through the Department of Public Health and it supports the health benefits to IHSS workers. Um, there's also a smaller sliver of dollars from the Department of Public Health uh, that supports um, uh, some computer systems that that uh, we and Department of Health uh, use jointly, but we contract for out of DAS. So Alex, can we go to the next slide? And the last way we look at budgets typically is we look at sort of what are the types of expenditures we make. So again, as you can see, this is sort of mirroring the uh, the first slide I spoke to. Aid payments represents about 60% of the budget. This is uh, almost entirely within the IHSS program. Um, we have CBO grants at 100 and um, $108 million, and that is um, made up of CBO contracts within the Office of Community Programs and CBO spending within the feeding budget that I mentioned previously. Um, we have a small amount in the scheme of things for materials and supplies. Um, we buy services from other agencies as well. That's what's labeled here as work order services at $800,000. We buy paratransit services from the uh, from uni, that biggest piece of this. Um, we also have um, small chunks of change uh, from services provided by the General Services Administration and by the Treasurer and Tax Collector's Office. Um, as we continue around the chart, I guess this time going clockwise, um, we have uh, $39 million for salaries. Um, that's the salaries for the FTE that I listed a couple of slides back. And of course, fringe benefits for the same staff. And then we also have what we call a professional services budget of about $6 million, um, which has um, a number of other contracts that are um, typically not considered CBO contracts because of the kind of service they are. And in there, we have a travel and training budget in there. We have the Dignity Fund needs assessment uh, contract in there. We have some computer contracts in there. So that's the sort of the overview of the current budget. May we go to the next slide? So typically at this time of year, we get a, um, a reduction target from the mayor's office. And what the mayor's office does, working with the controller's office and with the budget le and legislative analysts, 
is it develops a projection for growth of city revenues and growth of city expenditures. And it is typically the case that, um, that expenditures grow a little bit faster than uh, revenues grow, and there's a need to trim general funds. Um, this year is anomalous. I think it's been 20 years since we've been in this situation. We actually have a small surplus. So the mayor's office is not asking agencies to propose reduction of funds. Um, we have small revenue growth, and I'll go into that a little bit on the next slide. Um, and we have a big chunk of federal money that's come in associated with, um, with the COVID-19 um, disaster. And um, and we are actually in a position where uh, we are to the good a little bit. And another thing that's had a, a sort of a significant impact on this, and I'll mention this again in a moment, is that um, when we look at the personnel budget, um, obviously it's made up of salaries and benefits. Um, since the stock market has done so well recently, the return on investment in retirement accounts has been very strong. And so actually costs for contribution to retirement accounts have, have gone down. And, and that is uh, part of what's driving the reduced need on the salary and benefit side. May we go to the next slide? So, okay, pension returns are very strong. Um, We've also had um, growth in uh, property taxes and in transfer taxes, um, but the parts of the city revenue picture that are really associated with the, the tourist industry have been weak. Um, obviously, as everyone realizes, we have many fewer people coming to San Francisco. We've got many fewer meals from restaurants. Um, and so uh, we are seeing a reduction in that area offset to a large extent by a strong property and tra transfer tax. Um, we are assuming in this budget forecast that salary and benefit costs will rise um, as um, uh, the city's uh, process for negotiating contracts has a number of contracts coming up um, this year, and, and those contracts will be renegotiated uh, over the spring. And so that is an area where we have made some assumptions about growth. Um, we will see as we go forward through this process where we end up in negotiations. Um, and, and finally, you know, we say we have a, a high degree of uncertainty. That's, that is true, and the uncertainty is both uh, to the bad and to the good. Um, you know, we are not sure where federal expenditures are going to end up. We're not sure where federal investment in uh, programs that support our populations and our programs will end up. Uh, on the other hand, we're going into a state budget process and the state is in a very strong financial position at the moment. Um, so we're not really sure how that's gonna play out in the legislative process as well, but that may 
that may provide additional investments uh, in social services programs. May we go to the next slide. So, um, so basically the, the, the direction or the guidance that the mayor's office has given us as we go into developing our budget is um, no need to reduce general funds, but also um, there's not a lot of room. So they are of course asking us to reposition money where we can um, and then to focus our efforts on things that uh, that support the strength of our programs, that support um, the economic recovery, and certainly that continue to provide good service to our populations. And we will be doing that. Um, I should say at this point that, you know, the, the development of a budget is, is a pretty complicated process. And, um, um, we introduced a few members of the budget team uh, who work uh, with us on developing the, the budget. Uh, Emily Gibbs is our budget director. Um, Alex Gleason is our principal analyst who works in the uh, area and we have a senior uh, analyst, uh, Genevieve Herrera, who, uh, who also works in this area. And, and they will work with DAS management at developing the budget. There is a there is a real sort of interplay between Kelly, the deputy directors, the program directors at at bringing this budget together, and and we will be weighing needs and opportunities and new funding that's available to come back to you in about a month with a budget proposal for next year and the year after. May we go to the next slide? So one of the things that is is a big driver in um, in the DAS budget, and we always um, call it out, is what we call the MOE or the maintenance of effort payment within the IHSS program. And as I said earlier, the the um, MOE is where the county pays for its share of the IHSS program. And it, grow, it grows on a regular basis. It grows by inflation, and it grows every time we increase the wages of workers. San Francisco has been um, sort of the leader in, in terms of um, paying a, a better wage to IHSS workers. And as you can see, the wage is still under $20 an hour. So, so this is all a very relevant thing. But, but IHSS in San Francisco pays the highest IHSS wage in the state. Uh, a number of years ago, we negotiated a contract and the terms of that contract were also uh, embedded in the city's minimum compensation ordinance uh, language. Um, that caused for a set of increases in IHS wages. We're getting to the end of that contract. Uh, now, uh, in the current year, we started paying $18 an hour uh, this past July 1st. And then uh, next July 1st, we'll be going to $18.75 an hour. Um, and then after that, the contract is ended. The contract has a provision in it for 
what we do with wages if we don't um, get to a new contract uh, in time for the subsequent fiscal year. And, and that's to continue to raise the, uh, the IHSS wage based on the CPI. So uh, as you can see in July of 23, we are estimating a wage of 1933 and then in 24, 1993. Um, that, that assumes just continuation based on CPI projections. As I said, we're going to, uh, we're going to renegotiate the contract and, and may not end up with those precise wages. Okay, at this point, I'm gonna turn the program over to Kelly, who's going to talk a little bit about DAS caseloads and DAS accomplishments. And then I will be back to talk about budget development process. Great. Thanks, Dan. Um, it is hard to believe that it's time to renegotiate that contract already. But anyway, um, so in terms of DAS caseloads, for the most part, caseloads remain at or slightly below service levels from prior years. Um, that includes um, fiscal year 1920. These trends are due to the ongoing COVID uh, pandemic and corresponding suspension of in-person services and shift to virtual and hybrid models. <clears throat> I should note that there is a small exception. There is an exception in IHSS there was a small uptick here uh, relative to fiscal year 1920, but it's primarily due to operational changes in how IHSS manages the case status of recipients who do not have an independent provider for an extended period. It also bears noting that maintaining mostly steady service levels in spite of a two year long pandemic and its disproportionate impacts on older and disabled people is an achievement and has been made possible by our staff and community partners. So a huge congratulations to them. Next slide, please. Okay, so in terms of DOS highlights, um, so IHSS Stability and Wellness and Supportive Housing Pilot, this was launched in November of 2021 at one site in um, Soma and will bring more sites online in the coming months with plans to serve nearly 1,000 people over the next year. IHSS is an important service for promoting independence, positive health outcomes, and stability in the community, including housing stability and overall well-being for formerly homeless residents of permanent supportive housing. The goal of this pilot is to tailor services to meet the needs of permanent supportive housing residents and play a role in preventing formerly homeless individuals from experiencing eviction and becoming homeless again. Another is the APS expansion in HomeSafe. Uh, there's a general expansion in that the state has lowered the age threshold for APS senior eligibility from 65 to 60 and with $2.4 million in new state funding to help us address the anticipated growth in our caseloads corresponding to this change. In terms of home safe, um, originally, originally a two-year homelessness prevention pilot from July 2019 to June 2021, home safe has been extended and expanded uh, with $3.4 million in new state funding to be spent through fiscal year uh, 23 and 24. 
HomeSafe continues to provide homelessness prevention services, including intensive case management, legal services, um, financial assistance, and assisted living placement where appropriate. HomeSafe will expand its scope to provide housing transitions, support for individuals currently experiencing homelessness, and we're partnering closely with HSH to plan for this expansion and services. Okay, next slide. So now we wanna look at community-based services. Um, uh, Office of Community Partnerships highlights, uh, let's see, a continued co continuity of services and expansion in key areas of need like nutrition remains a focus for OCP and our community-based partner network during this ongoing public health crisis. We are staying responsive to conditions as they evolve, including during this latest surge. We have undertaken major efforts to assess community needs, including the Dignity Fund Community Needs Assessment currently in progress, and our recently concluded BIPOC community listening sessions. Our findings from these and other analyses inform departmental priorities and funding strategies. Work continues to implement our plans for establishing a disability community cultural center co-located with the Kelsey, a new housing project serving 20, reserving 25% of its 112 units for people with disabilities. And that's located at the corner of Vanus and Grove. Um, looking at the DOS hub, uh, integrated intake staff helped hundreds of clients transition from the short-term Great Plates Delivered program to ongoing DOS nutrition services, such as home delivered meals and groceries and communal dining, which is currently meal pickup and food pantry pickup. Uh, the CVSO shifted to a hybrid model, allowing for online appointment bookings and consultations, and also established outstations at the VA Medical Center at Fort Miley and the Veterans Memorial Building near City Hall. These are both high visibility and well-trafficked areas that will allow us to better support veterans and their dependents to get connected to the benefits they're entitled to. So those are most of the highlights. I'll turn it back to you, Dan. Thanks, Kelly. So just in terms of timing, obviously we are here at the first DAS Commission meeting on the budget. Um, what will happen between uh, this meeting and the next meeting is is a lot of intense work uh, between going on between the uh, the budget team and DAS management around priority setting and a lot of work at figuring out how we bring our budget into balance. The other important thing that will happen uh, in this period is the governor will release a budget and that will happen next week, we expect on the 10th. And the governor's budget will of course include his initiatives uh, for, for all state programs, but certainly social services programs and programs that are managed by DAS. And so we'll have a better feel for the amount of money coming uh, to localities through the state. And that will help in the, in the process. Um, we will bring back a plan to you and we will ask you for your approval that time on February 2nd. Um, and then we will go into a period of about another three weeks where we'll be sort of hammering out details of the budget. Now, the, the, the budget team also works on um, the other side of the HSA budget, 
and uh, and so we'll be working there as well. We'll bring the two budgets together, the DAS budget and the Benefit and Family Services budget, along with the HSA admin budget, and we will make a proposal to the mayor's office on February 22nd, and then we'll go into a period of discussion with the mayor's office um, that will last from late February, probably up through uh, the beginning of May, and then the mayor will make her final decisions about her budget and, uh, and will propose a budget to the board on June 1st. And then we will move into the board phase of the process. Um, we will make a presentation to, uh, to the board, we'll get questions and there will be a lot of discussion back and forth between agencies and the board, between the mayor's office and the board. And we will ultimately, um, by the end of July, get to a place where we have a budget that uh, that the mayor can live with, that the board can live with, hopefully that the agencies can live with as well. Um, and and then we will be uh, implementing the budget in July. So that's the process. So any questions about um, current budget, uh, mayor's instructions, um, or the budget making process for either Kelly or for me. Um, thank you so much, uh, Mr. Kaplan and Director Dearman. Um, could we um, maybe take the slides down and then I could call on commissioners. Perfect. Thank you so much. Are there comments and questions from commissioners on our budget presentation? Uh, Commissioner, uh, I'll start with John and then we'll go to Lum. Yes. First, I just want to really thank uh, Director Kaplan for uh, the very uh, clear, comprehensive uh, budget overview. Um, it's well organized, uh, and um, for, from from my perspective, a, a, a very comprehensive. And working with um, with Executive Director Dearman, uh, a very um, thoughtful. Um, and well planned out process. So I just really, and, and I do appreciate that this budget process is very complex and I appreciate the work of you and your staff to make this happen. Um, for uh, Executive Director Dearman, I just want to, you know, in listening to the highlights, um, compliment and, and um, acknowledge the excellent work that you and your staff continue to do. Um, we are currently, as we all know, working in a very challenging environment with increased needs. Um, but I can see with um, pulling in all the different sources of funding, coordinating and, and, and basically uh, prioritizing what we need to do. Um, this just some excellent work that's been going on. And I really look forward to um, the uh, anticipated expansion of uh, the work uh, both in terms of home safe program, um, moving on to addressing uh, the very important nutritional um, uh, needs of seniors. Um, but it's all very excellent work and, and I just wanna compliment and, and acknowledge the excellent work that you, that you and your staff have been doing. Okay, uh, Commissioner, uh, Lum, did you have, yeah. Uh, yes, uh, 
Thank you very much for the very uh, uh, concise report on the, on the budget, and uh, it's very uh, enlightening. I, uh, my question, or should I say my comment, is uh, uh, going to be for uh, uh, Executive Director uh, Dearman. Um, when when we are talking about the uh, uh, providing uh, uh, veteran services to veterans, uh, the VA, which is you know, located at uh, uh, Fort, uh, Fort Miley, is you know one of the biggest complaints that I hear from uh, veterans is that it's way too far away. Um, yet we have the Veterans Building, which is across the street from City Hall, which which is a potential. Uh, 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 a facility that can be utilized to service veterans. Is that something that got, that can be considered? Um, yes, thank you, um, Commissioner Lum. And in fact, we are using the Veterans um, Memorial Building um, as an outstation. And so veterans are able to go there and get services because we recognize that there's there's higher traffic there and it's easier for many people to get there. So we have an outstation at the um, medical center at, at Fort Miley and one at the Veterans Memorial Building near City Hall. Uh, correct, the, the, the one at the uh, Veterans Building is, is, is currently uh, on a, on a uh, really a part-time basis. Uh, mm -hmm. I guess my question is is, 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 is there any possibility or any plan to make that a more permanent uh, location? So, so I think you mean more permanent in terms of um, having it be open more hours. And Correct. I think that is something that we are considering, but um, quite honestly, right now, we're just trying to get through this current surge. And um, then I think we'll be able to make um, better We'll be able to make better decisions about how many hours it needs to be open. It needs to be open, but I absolutely hear you in that it's easier for many people to get to, and we recognize that. We just have to figure out how we can staff it more for more hours. Thank you. Thank you. Great. And Vice President Spears, did you have a question? I wasn't sure. No, I was just going to do a plus one on on. on. Commissioner Young's um, um, comments, um, very well put together budget, totally understandable and um, appreciate the details and the highlights from the year. So, and then most importantly, all the work of the staff in these, um, in these uh, undefinable times that we're in. <laughs> Yeah, I, I also agree. I'll say a, pl a plus one as well, all, all that is being said. And just uh, thank you so much for taking the mayor's uh, directives, we understand, and uh, yet uh, really bringing into it a chance for uh, providing in an innovation um, and, and hope for some of the mayor's um, priorities around um, trying to assist the homeless, uh, people with mental health difficulties, uh, these agencies are embedded in our department and, and we are uh, trying to put together programs that are new and innovative and have had pilots and are taking advantage of city and state funding. Um, and hopefully this will be uh, 
something that, that will really help in the future. Um, and I recognize that and I'm really, really proud of the fact that uh, we've kind of watched these programs get started and uh, as pilots and are continuing uh, to expand them and a chance to do that. So that, I'm looking forward to that. And then um, I hope that uh, as we work on the benefits hub, uh, that's a very exciting thing for all of us to help with the outreach and so that people know more and more about our services and that you will bring um, our our commissioners into that uh, and sort of uh, show us how the online system is working and maybe get input when we can and um, when, when it's uh, open and available and also just to take a look at it and provide our input um, as we are always a task with uh, within our own communities for people saying we need to know more about these programs. So uh, we're looking forward to assisting you with that this year. Um, so I'm very, very excited about that also as a budget priority. So um, I think, is there anything else um, from commissioners? Okay, then I think we do um, ask for public comment on this. I believe that's true. A moderator, please open the phone lines for public comment on agenda, agenda item B. We will allow some time for callers to submit their requests. Moderator, do we have any callers in the queue? Madam Secretary, there are no callers in the queue. Okay, then uh, we will close public comment. Uh, again, thank you so much for all the people that are involved uh, in putting this budget together, and uh, we do recognize all the work. So thank you for the very, very good presentation today. Um, then, and, and as you know, no uh, motion is needed for item B. It was for informational purposes only. But as we move to agenda item C, this will require a vote by the commission. Uh, it is, and I will go ahead and uh, read that, uh, requesting authorization to modify the existing grant agreement with Community Living Campaign for the provision of SF Connected Program during the period of January 1st, 2022 through June 30th, 2023 in the additional amount of $67,230 plus a 10% contingency for a revised total amount not to exceed $404,224,000. And Fanny Lapitan, who I see, <laughs> is uh, here to present the item. Welcome, Ms. Lapitan. Thank you. Good morning, Commissioners and Executive Director Dearman. Uh, again, I'm Fanny Lapitan, Program Manager with the Office of Community Partnerships. Um, Happy New Year, and again, thank you. Thank you for your time today. Um, uh, we're requesting uh, authorization to modify an existing grant that we have with the Community Living Campaign for the SF Connected Program. Um, as you may be familiar, the SF Connected Program is DOS's technology program aimed to help address the digital divide for our older adults and adults with disabilities in San Francisco. Uh, this program has three components that are carried out by contracted community-based organizations. Uh, the primary component is the digital literacy training and support, uh, again, provided by several community partners in computer labs located in every district throughout the city um, or virtually when participants are not able to access the labs. Uh, for the second component, we have a partner that provides technical support for all hardware, software, and broadband at all of the SF-connected computer labs. 
And then the third component is, um, is the grant that we're asking to modify today that is with the Community Living Campaign to provide administrative support to the SF Tech Council. Um, just to give you some background, when federal funding ended for this technology program in 2013, uh, the city continued to fund it. And at that time, DOS and community stakeholders saw the importance of having a council that will address the ongoing digital inclusion needs of all San Franciscans. Um, that council is the uh, SF Tech Council, which the Community Living Campaign supports administratively. The SF Tech Council advances digital inclusion and bridges the digital divide so that everyone, especially vulnerable San Franciscans, can participate in the city's connect, connected community. Uh, the focus of the Tech Council's work is to enhance the quality, efficiency, and effectiveness of digital literacy and access in San Francisco. Uh, so the Community Living Campaign works to ensure that the Tech Council continues to develop multi-sector solutions with technology that encompasses uh, the key themes of um, educational efforts, addressing social isolation, um, healthcare and life challenges, and also diversity in San Francisco. Uh, they have several goals, but um, <clears throat> among the number of things that the Tech Council is tasked, um, they're expected to expand resources to improve internet access, training, and online materials. Uh, also to identify, support, and continue projects that will build, build bridges between uh, the technology and service sectors in San Francisco. Uh, the, the Tech Council is also working on mapping uh, digital inclusion resources and leading efforts to coordinate a citywide action plan um, that addresses racial equity and digital access. So with this requested modification, uh, <clears throat> really the additional funding will support multiple efforts in alignment with these expectations. Uh, namely, we will be supporting uh, Thriving in Place, um, an organization that conducted and developed a report on bridging the digital divide for San Francisco residents with disabilities and older adults. Uh, the report titled 2021 Empowered San Francisco Technology Needs Assessment uh, will continue to be pre presented by Thriving in Place to more forums, organizations, and stakeholders. The sharing of the needs assessment findings and uh, recommendations to the wider community will, will help align and strengthen the collective impact of digital inclusion efforts in San Francisco. Uh, we hope that the, the report will advise DOS, um, SF Tech Council members, um, community-based organizations, and other city departments as they advance um, digital inclusion and bridge the digital divide. Uh, the additional funding will also uh, strengthen uh, the capacity of two equity and innovative innovation pilot projects. Um, so in the spring last year, the Tech Council helped local organizations get funded for uh, these pilot projects through grants by the Meta Fund, and um, their goal is to decrease social isolation and improve wellness outcomes for San Francisco residents, particularly in underserved communities uh, through technology-based activities that increase uh, digital access, the digital literacy, and um, tech, or tech support. Um, so we have the two pilots. The, um, the first one, additional funding for the Family Caregiver Alliance will support program staff uh, to conduct outreach, enrollment, and support. That pilot project focuses on uh, providing tablets, internet connectivity, tech support, um, ongoing education, and uh, in-home support to family caregivers. Um, 
I believe are mostly Spanish uh, speaking caregivers that they're working with right now for the project. Um, these are caregivers who are unable to access remote support services during the pandemic uh, because of lack of devices or they don't have internet connection. Um, and then we have the second pilot that we're also providing a bit of additional um, funding. Uh, that's with televisit.org. Um, this will extend sessions, uh, work with volunteers to offer ESL classes and add um, sessions that focus on technology. Uh, the televisit.org uh, designed a technology platform to allow older adults participate in activities from their own home. So uh, the pilot uses a device, a tablet, that functions um, more as a, a picture frame or a window that automatically activate, activates the social and educational programming um, at regularly scheduled times without the user having to navigate through the device interface. This pilot um, has 17 monolingual Chinese speaking participants um, that participate in sessions weekly. Um, and then a couple more things that we are uh, supporting additional funding um, will be provided to the Tech Council to develop a white paper that synthesizes the data outcomes from the pilots, focusing on best practices, project improvements, and um, lessons learned. This will benefit other organizations by sharing strategies that not um, only support the successfully support the design and replication of similar pilots in the community, but also uh, could position them over the long term to advance um, the pilots into sustainable programs at scale. And then uh, finally, additional funding is provided to help the Tech Council collaborate with a Bay Area Video Co Coalition um, to produce a video that would allow participants to share their personal experiences and the resulting benefits from using technology. Um, this will provide a window to the impact and success of technology initiatives that can be shared uh, widely through different platforms. So um, the, the SF Tech Council hopes that the that with the use of these additional resources, um, other community partners or service providers who are looking to prop up new or expand existing technology programs uh, will have the information they need to plan um, to design and implement sustainable programs um, to help address the digital divide. Um, at this time, I'd be happy to answer any question the commissioners may have. Thank you. Okay, thank you so much, Ms. Lapitan. Um, are there any questions or comments from commissioners on this request? This time, not, I'm not seeing anyone. Um, I just wanted to comment then. I was very, very excited about this proposal. It does seem like we're being very innovative again in ways to, uh, uh, you know, dealing with this digital divide and especially that was so exacerbated during the pandemic. Um, so, towards a brave new future where maybe the lessons learned from the pandemic and the need for this uh, have been learned and, and we're innovating. Um, and I had to note the televisit where the interface was made easier uh, for people. Uh, I think we could all probably <laughs> benefit from that, having struggled with many interfaces to, to stay connected. So I was excited about that little, little item there. And I'm hoping that as this white paper uh, becomes available. I was. I think it's an excellent. Will be an excellent resource for us. Um, just taking a, a you know overview of all, all the lessons learned and and some suggestions. And if you can, if it's appropriate, can share it with the commission. Uh, maybe even 
we can just comment or whatever, uh, that would be great. I would really be interested in seeing that because I think it's it's a subject that's very dear to uh, many of us as we have, uh, you know, had the practical um, lessons learned during during this pandemic of how important it is. So I hope for that. Um, so just just all of those. You didn't really not really a question, just more comments. So thank you, yeah. President Kenton. Yeah. Um, so if we didn't have any other comments or questions from the commissioners, uh, do we have any uh, comments from the public who would wish to um, address agenda item C? Moderator, please open the phone line for public comment on agenda item C. We will allow some time for callers to submit their requests. Moderator, do we have any callers in the queue? Madam Secretary, there are no callers in the queue. Okay, hearing no uh, further requests, we will close public comment. Is there a motion to approve item C? From Commissioner Jung, moved, uh, seconded from Vice President Spears. Uh, Madam Secretary, can you please take a roll call vote on to approve item C? President Knudsen, how do you vote? Yes. Vice President Spears, how do you vote? Yes. Commissioner Bittner, how do you vote? Yeah. Commissioner Jung, how do you vote? Yes. Commissioner Lum, how do you vote? Yes. And uh, I don't believe Commissioner Sklar is able to vote, even though she's listening in. Uh, so the outcome is the motion is approved. Okay, great. We can do that. We have a quorum for it. Um, commissioners, thank you so much. The next order of business is agenda item D and also requires a vote by the commission. It is requesting authorization to revise a sole source waiver and to modify the existing grant agreement with the Institute on Aging for the provision of home safe services during the period of July 1st, 2021 through June 30th, 2023 in the addition amount of $3,320,936 plus a 10% contingency for a revised total amount not to exceed $4,841,030. And uh, Mr. Achilles Saron will be presenting. I see you there on my screen, so welcome. Thank you. Good morning, Commissioners and Director Dearman. Happy New Year. We're requesting authorization to revise this sole source waiver and to modify the existing grant. This grant agreement modification with the Institute on Aging is to continue to provide intensive case management to older adults and adults with disabilities who are facing eviction as a result of self-neglect. In addition, this grant modification will serve to provide housing transition services from permanent supportive housing, congregate shelters, or independent living for those with limited financial resources into assisted living facilities. This will help older adults and adults with disabilities avert homelessness by ensuring they are in the least restrictive environment while meeting their safety and functional needs. The purpose of this grant agreement is to meet our commitment to the state under the Home Safe Pilot Grant by providing longer term case management interventions and purchase of goods and services necessary to avert harm and homelessness. Through this grant agreement, we will be able to support clients' safety and housing stability using evidence-based practices modeled after the DAS Community Living Fund program 
which has been operated by the Institute on Aging since 2006. Thank you. Okay, thank you so much, Mr. Cerrone. Are there any comments or questions from the commission? This agenda item. All right, then, um, are the, do we have anyone from the public who wishes to comment on agenda item D? Moderator, please open the phone line for public comment on agenda item D. We will allow some time for callers to submit their requests. Moderator, do we have any callers in the queue? Madam Secretary, there are no callers in the queue. Okay, then hearing no further requests to speak on the item, we'll close public comment. Is there a motion from commissioners to approve item D? I move that we approve item D. Okay, it's been my, uh, moved by Commissioner Bittner, seconded by, I think I saw Commissioner Jung. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, Madam Secretary, can you please take a roll call to approve item D? Can you how do you vote? Uh, yes. Vice President Spears, how do you vote? Yes. Commissioner Bittner, how do you vote? Yes. Commissioner Jung, how do you vote? Yes. Commissioner Lum, how do you vote? Yes. We, the motion is approved, apologies. Okay, great, Okay, hearing none, then I'm gonna go ahead and uh, adjourn our meeting. And again, thank you so much to our substitute commission secretary for seeing us through uh, all of the very complicated uh, technology we had today. Uh, we managed to hang on to our quorum. So thank you commissioners for everything you did to stay, stay connected um, and uh, happy 2022 to everyone. Please just stay safe and uh, hopefully we will, um, move towards a, a better future this year. Thank you so much. Thank you. Happy New Year. Yeah. Happy New Year.